0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome today to Bethany at every location. It's a real privilege to be speaking at every location as we bring together the things we've been considering the entire fall in our series, Soil Care for the Soul. Today, I'd like to show you how to take what we have been hearing and put into practice in our daily lives. And my prayer and hope is that we will, as a congregation, put into practice these things that we've been talking about in order that we might be transformed. So please take a moment, we'll pray together, and then uh, we'll get into this. What does it mean to build a rule of life? That'll be our consideration today. Let's pray. Father, we'd like to thank you that as we gather today, uh, you are our teacher, your Holy Spirit. Our desire, Father, in this beautiful city in which we live is to shine as light, And to be people of hope, people of redemption, people of mercy and generosity and service and patience. And toward that end, we pray that you would speak to us now, Father, not only individually but collectively, that we might together purpose to allow the light of Christ that resides within us to shine with greater clarity in our city and in our world. And we'll thank you for the fruit of that as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we begin today, I'd like you to meet Lisa Allen. I learned about her in the book, Habits by Charles Duhug. And uh, this is what we read about her, and I'm quoting now. According to her file, she's a favorite of psychologists and sociologists for study. Uh, she was 35 years old when the study began. She started smoking and drinking when she was 16. She had struggled with obesity for most of her life, and at one point in her mid-20s, collection agencies were hounding her to recover $10,000 in debt. An old resume listed her longest job as less than, less than a year, Yet researchers were studying her because she had completely turned her life around in a very short period of time. When researchers met her, she was lean and vibrant, toned legs of a runner. She looked a decade younger than the photos in her chart. And she looked like she could out-exercise anyone in the room. She'd lost 60 pounds, had just completed a marathon along with a master's degree. And according to the most recent report in her file, Lisa had no outstanding debts didn't drink, hadn't smoked in four years. She was in her 39th month at a graphic design firm. She was transformed. And her transformation actually began when she decided after a broken relationship while in Egypt that she was going to hike through the Sinai Desert. And because she knew that she wanted to hike, she knew that she needed to quit smoking. And the habit of smoking, once she broke that habit and replaced it with a positive habit of exercise, begin an upward spiral of transformation in her life that's absolutely remarkable. And we all love stories of transformation. And I bring her story to you today because in the end, transformation's what the gospel is all about. John 10.10 is where Jesus says this, I've come that you might have what? Life. And you might have life to the full, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says this, He, God, made him Christ who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf in order that we might, listen to this, in order that we might become the very righteousness of God. In, in other words, in order that in our daily living people would encounter God through us. I love that. Romans 12, don't be conformed, we're told, to the prevailing mores of the world, but be transformed, transformation. And in in particular, I'd say be transformed so that we overflow more and more with the character of Christ in our daily actions, our priorities, our words. And so a transformation so that we look more like Christ is the goal. The question on the table today is this, how do we get there? And I'll start by saying that the narrative of culture will never get us there. We, as a culture, are increasingly stressed out, materialistic, addicted, Anxious, lonely, afraid, and this in spite of being one of the wealthiest nations on earth. So prevailing culture won't get us there, and we knew that already because Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it." This isn't some fundamentalist notion calling you to shrink your life down so that you're legalistic, judgmental, and and, and kind of prudish. This narrow gate, we're told, is the gate through which on the other side resides the very life for which you're created, Zoe in John 10.10, like a life overflowing with nothing less than the character of Jesus. So we're motivated here not by fear, not by legalism, but by joy and a desire to live the life for which we're created. So there's this narrow gate in Matthew 7, of which Jesus speaks, and Jeremiah actually foretold of this narrow gate in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, when he, Jeremiah, looking at the culture imploding all around him, said this, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask, where's the good way, and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls." And rest, of course, is also what Jesus offered us in Matthew chapter 11, where he explains to us, if we're weighed down, if we're carrying extra burdens, we will be able to find rest and develop a sense of consistent and real relationship with Christ. But hear this, this is so important, this consistent and real relationship with Christ, like any relationship that will be consistent and real, requires a development of simple habits And naming these habits and working and moving into these habits in our daily living is ultimately what this whole series has been about this past fall. So now I'll say to you today, as your pastor, of all the things we've spoken about over the many years that I've been here, perhaps the single most important thing you can do to enjoy an ongoing journey of transformation as a disciple of Jesus is this. Take these concepts of which we've spoken over the past weeks and work at turning them into habits. I know it sounds legalistic, but it isn't. I'll get to that. Work at turning these things into habits. This process has been called throughout church history the creation of a rule of life. And and, and this is what we'll talk about today. So today, uh, you received a tool as you came in, this thing here, that will help you create your own rule of life. I'm gonna encourage you, as I never have before, keep this, Take it home with you, put it in your Bible, put it on your refrigerator, put it on the mirror in the bathroom so that you're reminded of these things and you'll see why in just a moment. So we're going to learn how to name these habits and my hope and prayer is that we will collectively use this tool as a means of becoming, in increasing measure, disciples who represent in our daily living the, 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 the heart and character of Jesus. Today then, what we'll do is we'll answer three questions. It'll pull all this together and help you create your own rule of life. Three easy questions. Question number one, what is a rule of life? Question number two, why is a rule of life important? Question number three, how do I create a rule of life? So these three questions, first question, this is where we begin. What is a rule of life? And my fear, even as I speak this, is that somebody in the room will check out immediately because you'll be like this, I don't like rules. I'm not a rule person, don't make me follow rules. And particularly people who've grown up in in kind of legalistic faith structures have this kind of visceral, emotional, negative reaction even to the word rule. So for just a minute here, suspend the word rule and listen with me because here's the deal, You you may not think you have rules in your life and I will say okay, maybe you don't have rules but at the very least, here's what we all have, we all have habits, we all have habits. Some of you have habits of running. The Seattle Marathon is just this week. Some of you have habits of coffee in the morning. Some of you have habits of reading, habits of wine, habits of pasta, habits of taking out the garbage, habits of paying the bills, habits of watching TV, habits of playing music, habits of listening to music. Everybody has habits. And so all the rule of life is, is an intentional choosing of the right habits that will enable you to become more like Jesus. That's all it is. You already have habits. So the question on the table is this, are these the best habits for you? And what I wanna challenge you to do is think about your habits and think about your values. So let's talk about habits just for a minute, still under the rubric of this question, what is a rule of life? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, this is what you read about Jesus. It says that Jesus went into the synagogue, and then you read it this way. He went into the synagogue as was his custom. That's a habit. Like, this is something that Jesus did every Sabbath. And if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, you see that God's intention with God's people was that revelation about God's character would always kind of be at the forefront of our minds so that we could create habits in the light of God's revelation. Listen as I read this. This is what God says to Israel. These words I'm speaking to you today should be on your heart and teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as, as signs on, on, on the frontals of your forehead. Write them on the door of your house and on your gates. So what God is saying here in this section, uh, as as I skip down to Deuteronomy 6, verse 12, is this. Watch yourself that you do not forget, don't forget, these habits. Uh, So to to the extent that we're reminded of the life for which God has created us, God is simply telling us here that that, uh, what we already know to be true psychologically is already also true spiritually. Habits form, and when you form a habit, Uh, The habit will create a spiral of activity. And so with any habit, good or bad, here's the truth about a habit. You know it, don't you? Use it or what? Lose it. Use it or lose it. If you don't have the habit, you lose the habit. Uh, And of course, we know from history that the default for members in the room as humans is to stop using good habits. This is who we are. And this is because we're fallen. And so we, we know there are good habits, but we stop doing them over time. Uh, and, 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 and so this is I, I, maybe a, an illustration for you would be when I went on my sabbatical, I purchased a book called The New Alpinism, and that became my training guide to get in physical shape uh, for the Alps. And the book explained to me that if I consistently would exercise and get my pulse into this certain zone, what would happen inside me was kind of magic. Like my mitochondria would, would, would be strengthened and multiply, and this mitochondria is some kind of an energy storehouse that, we, that I have in me, you have, them, you have it in you as well. And, and, and so it's a very simple principle. Use your mitochondria. They strengthen and multiply. Don't use them. They atrophy, atrophy and decay. That's just the way it works. And of course, this is what happened to Israel spiritually. Their spiritual mitochondria... Decayed. They became busy, preoccupied with their own private lives, so that as a result, though God said in Deuteronomy 6, look, keep the law right in front of you, by the time you get to Judges chapter 21, verse 25, this is what we read Israel had no king, and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. So I'm no longer paying attention at all to to God's revelation. It was given to me, I didn't use it, and because I didn't use it, I lost it. That's Judges. And then the the, the sad decay actually continues uh, to the point that when we get to uh, Josiah, the boy king, we discover that he finds the law in the temple, in a closet, when the temple is being restored, and when Josiah reads the law, he realizes the law has not been read in the house of God for generations. So Josiah reads the law... And people go on this kind of revival moment of bringing their lives into accordance with God's revelation. But again, what was the law doing in the closet? And here's the answer. Use it or what? Lose it. Every time. That's just the way it works. But the good news is that though the law can be lost, the law can be found. The good news is though your mitochondria can decay in atrophy, your mitochondria are repairable. And the way that mitochondria are repairable is by building a few simple habits into your life that will strengthen your body. And the way that your spiritual well-being is repairable is by creating in your life a few simple habits that will feed and strengthen the spiritual soil of your heart. And I'm going to suggest on the, on the document you have here that the most important two, if you could only begin in two places, start down at the bottom. Bible study or Bible reading and meditation. These are the two most important things you can do to kind of strengthen the spiritual mitochondria of your soul. Bible reading, meditation. And so we're going to talk about that in a moment. But for now, just set that aside and recognize we're talking about habits, developing two habits, a habit of Bible reading, a habit of meditation. Then the other part of this rule of life is attitudes. So habits is part of a rule of life, and I'm still answering the question, what is a rule of life? It's habits, it's also attitudes. And attitudes are actually different than habits because attitudes are more a way of looking at the world and responding to the world. You you could use the word values and say, yeah, yeah, so I I need habits and I need attitudes, or I need habits and I need values. And how do you gain these values? Well, you gain these values by putting them in front of you on a regular basis because that's how your mind is renewed. Romans chapter 12 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So if the, the, the things above the soil level here, these are attitudes. These are attitudes and values. Service, pilgrimage, prayer for others, hospitality, truth-telling, generosity. And, and the, the way that I remember God's values is I keep them in front of me somehow. So that uh, it could be that while, while I'm While I'm shaving, I can look at this and say, yeah, hospitality. Oh, that's right. I haven't been hospitable for three years. It's time to do something about that. But keeping these values in front of us are incredibly valuable, right? So we gain the values by by putting them in front of us and, 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 and being mindful of them. When I'm mindful, for example, of Christ's hospitality and Christ's care for people who are weary and downtrodden, I'm sensitized into the practice of hospitality myself. And this changes the way that I relate to people. Uh, as I was studying for this sermon, I was going over these values, and I'd been going over them for a week. And then as I was leaving uh, PCC co-op, there was a guy, and uh, he was asking me for some money for bus fare. And I'm telling you, I don't always do this, but because the values were in the front of my brain, I went in, I paid with a debit card so I could get extra money, so that I could go out and be hospitable a little bit, and, and engage him in conversation, and, and and send him on his way and bless him in a way, if I could. But that only happened because the values were right here in front of me. Does that make sense? Otherwise, I'm preoccupied with other things. That happens to all of us. So the rule of life means developing habits, these are baseline down below, and having this lens through which I look at the world of attitudes, these are up above. So to build a rule of life, you begin with a few simple habits that are motivated, not out of legalism, not out of fear, but, but motivated out of a desire to live the life for which you're created, which is, which is a life of representing to our desperate world the light and hope and generosity and joy of Christ. I, I'm not motivated by fear. I'm not, I'm not trying to get my ticket punched. No, I want people to meet Jesus in me. I want people to meet Jesus in us collectively as a community. That's what motivates me. So, so uh, we begin with these habits that are motiva- motivated by the goal of allowing Christ to be seen. And over, over time, what then begins to happen is the attitudes begin to infuse our life as well we're we going to look at the world through a different, a different lens, right? And that, that's really what a rule of life is. I'll just share with you, my, my practice and development of a rule of life actually began in 2005. I'd been here at Bethany 10 years, and I was tired, and uh, the church was growing, but I was questioning, can I keep doing this? I don't even know if I can keep doing this. I feel like I'm a professional religious person, and nothing is more disgusting to me than being a professional religious person. And so, uh, at that time, I discovered this group uh, in England that uh, have a rule of life practice called the Aden Way. And uh, so I went on their website, and I looked at their rule of life, and I began to apply that in my own life. And I remember sharing this with a couple of people on staff. And the reason I ended up sharing it was... Uh, one staff member had, had come to me and said, Richard, I don't know what's d- different. You just look, you look more energized. You look more peaceful. You, you look uh, centered. And I said, yeah, I got to tell you what happened. And it was, I, this is powerful for me. And, and so rule of life has been um, practices and attitudes that are sustaining for me. And I share them with you because I want sustainable faith in your life. And I share them with you because I want the light of Christ to shine uh, in our our community. So that is what a rule of life is. Now, let me share with you why a rule of life is important. It just starts with a very simple thing. Rule of life is important for this first reason, because you have the seed of Christ within you. 1 John 3.9 says it, God's seed abides in you. This is like the parable of the seed and the sower, right, you know? The farmer went out, sowing the seed. Well, the seed is the word of God, not the Bible, the word, the logos, Jesus. And so now, if you've received Christ, if you're in Christ, if you would say, yeah, I'm a person of faith who follows Christ, who knows Christ, I'm here to tell you on the basis of what God has said about you, if you've been born again, the seed of Christ abides in you. (laughs) And if you've not been born again, if you don't know that you have the seed of Christ, maybe you need the seed. But for those who have the seed, understand, the problem is never the seed. And not only is the problem never the seed, the solution is always the seed. Because I can never produce life ever, ever without the seed. So the seed is never the problem. The seed is always the solution. And yet one of the reasons that people recoil at this phrase, rule of life, It's because when I hear this, people say, yeah, don't talk to me about rules. I'm saved by grace. All I need to do is, is, uh, you know, be born again, and I've received it from Jesus. There's actually nothing I need to do other than receive what God has freely given. And this is what's so funny to me. Basically, people who say that are right. Yes, all you need to do is receive the seed. The same way that soil receives seed. And who in the room from Eastern Washington has ever seen a farmer plant the seed before caring for the soil? The life is the seed. The solution is the seed. The fruit is the seed. The abundance is the seed. But the seed will never come to life unless you first care for what? The soil. It all starts with the soil. Every time it starts with the soil. So this becomes significant in each of our lives, right? Uh, just receive the seed the same way soil receives seed, which means that if the life is in the seed and the growth is in the seed and the fruit is in the seed, the seed then will grow and thrive as long as the soil is good. And how do you create good soil? Habits and attitudes will determine the quality of the soil of your heart every time. So the development, the intentional development of the right habits and attitudes will determine the quality of the soil of your heart And so uh, I want to share with you practically what this looks like in my own life. I have habits related to meditation, Bible study, prayer for others. And, And so the way that works in my own life is I have morning habits. I wake up, and the first thing is coffee. And then with coffee, the Bible, and I read a little bit from a devotional book, and with the Bible, I, whatever is the single verse that is most meaningful to me, I write it down in my journal. And, 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 and then my next habit, I have this little time where I just breathe deeply. And while I'm breathing deeply, I repeat the verse of the day that I have just learned. And then, once I've had my coffee and breathed, I go in the shower. And when I'm in the shower, I pray for every one of my children. And now my grandchildren as well, my grandchild. And so I pray in the the shower. Sometimes I pray for some of you, but always my children, every time. And then breakfast. And then uh, maybe a time somewhere throughout the day of visiting the attitudes. How am I doing with the attitudes? And then what? Done. It's, it's simple, actually. But hard to do. Uh, here's the deal. It happens for me at least most days. And for me, most, it's a lot like exercise. Most days I exercise, I really enjoy it. I love running in the rain. I love running in the snow. I love, I love running in the heat. And, and dipping in the lake if I'm running in the heat. But I don't always love it. Sometimes I do it just because this is what you do. It's a habit. And I know somehow it's gonna help the mitochondria. So I do it anyway. So by faith, I've come to believe it's always valuable. So uh, now the question is not, you know, how was my time reading the Bible? I know there's a reward. I don't have to feel the reward. I know there's a reward. And the reward is this: little by little by little, I'm growing in intimacy with Jesus. And it's very small, it's not discernible. It's like your it's like your hair grows, you don't see it. It's like your nails grow, you don't see it. Your your intimacy is growing. It's like in a marriage, the same thing. Growth is imperceptible, but imperceptible growth is not not growth. <laughs> it's still growth. So this intimacy then with, with Christ becomes the basis for confidence and and, and, and and blessing and serving, whatever's needed in the moment because we're able to draw on the resources that we know we have in Christ. And how do we know? We developed habits. That's the way it works. And so the the key here is this. These things are easiest when they become habits. In uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, this is what you read. Jesus often withdrew to be alone. That's Jesus' habit of solitude. In Psalm 1, 1 and 2 you you see the habit of Bible reading and meditation. And it's articulated clearly as a habit. Listen to this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. Rather, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. That's a habit. Like the law, God's revelation is in front of this person. So we've chosen to step away from the prevailing narrative of the world—the world, the, world the, the the narrative of upward mobility and sensual indulgence and whatever else defines us. We're, we're stepping away from that, and and we're meditating on the word. Why? Because we believe that this will lead us into a life of spaciousness and joy and service and generosity and laughter and giving and hope. That's the life you're made for. It's not a heavy burden. It's it's a it's a vision of looking like Jesus. And and so there's this habit of Bible reading and meditation. And a reward. It says here that the one who's meditating is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water yielding fruit continually. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, And then uh, when you're running, you know, you're always keeping the reward in mind. Weight loss, blood pressure, cholesterol, marathon. 1 Timothy 4.8, though, says this. Physical training is of some value, But training for godliness has value for all things. And so if I'm going to run, then I also want to take care of my spirit. And this kind of brings me then to the last question. How do I create a rule of life? What is a rule of life? Why is a rule of life important? And then third, significant, how do I create a rule of life? This book that I referenced at the beginning about habits has been proven helpful for me here. Uh, habits, there's a kind of a pattern to habits, and I've taken this and customized a little bit for us, but it works this way. There's a cue, an action, a reward. Cue, action, reward. So, uh, what, what we want to do is learn, okay, what, what are my cues, what are my actions, what are my rewards? And some of, many of us in the room already have Cues, actions, and rewards. You, you wake up in the morning uh, and, and uh, uh, maybe your cue is coffee. So, okay, I have coffee immediately. And then, uh, while you're drinking your coffee, you have an action. And the action associated with your coffee becomes, an, it becomes a habit, right? Coffee and NPR. Coffee, sale times. Coffee, web. Coffee, Instagram. Coffee, conversation with my spouse. But cue... Action, and then you do what you do because it's a, re- a reward, right? Coffee, NPR, knowledge. Coffee, conversation with my spouse, intimacy, whatever. But, but that's how it works. Cue, your reward. And so, at least for me now, this is what I've done. I have a reward at the end of my morning routine. And the reward at the end of my morning routine? Breakfast. So, okay, I don't get breakfast. That's my reward. I don't get breakfast until I've done my habits. So here's, this is what it looks like. Cue, uh, coffee. Action, Bible reading. Reward, shower. I don't shower until I've read my Bible. Cue, shower. Action, prayer. Reward, breakfast. You see how that works? Cue breakfast. Action, bacon, reward, satisfaction. It works every time. So, so uh, what I want to encourage you to do is, at some point soon, we're going to work on the back of this page and ask the question, you know, what actions do I want to see become habits? What actions do I want to see become habits? And so, for example, here's Bible study. Uh, and there's a little verse here for you. And then there's, you can fill in the blank. My intent is to interact with the Scriptures X times per X and respond via prayer in a note or a journal. So, my, so my intent? My intent is to interact with the Scriptures uh, for, in my case, six times per week and, and respond. That's the way it works. That's my intent. I, sometimes it's four Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's three. My intent, though, you're declaring an intent. And and, and intent's very valuable. So um, I'd I'd encourage you to begin prayerfully playing with this. And then, really important, understand, as you develop this practice, you take it home, I want to start by saying this. Take small steps when you begin. Take small steps when you begin. You're not going to read... Uh, uh, you know, three chapters a morning every day of the Bible. If you haven't read the Bible, read a verse. Just take small steps, but take a step. Meditation. How will I continue to think about a verse sometimes through the day? Maybe you want to work so- with some of these others as well: solitude, fasting, Sabbath. But start somewhere. And if and if it's much better to start small than start big. But start. And so, starts with something simple, and then I, I'm going to encourage you to share this with someone. Certainly, if you're married and you both go here, share with your spouse, would encourage you to share it in your small groups. That would be super valuable. So you can check in with, a, with each other along the way. And then finally, as we close this out, I'm, going to, I'm just going to observe for you that there's an acronym that's going to help you make this sustainable. And the acronym, get this, BCC. Just like Bethany Community Church, BCC. B, bathe this with grace. Do you know what that means? That means it doesn't matter what your habit is, likely you'll fail. But the problem is never the failure, the problem is the, the sense of shame and condemnation many of us feel after we fail. And then it just, it just drifts away, and pretty soon, what's happened? We're back in Judges 21. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. We're, we're back in, in the days of Josiah, and our Bible's on a shelf, and we never read it. We come here, we listen for 20 minutes to a sermon, and we think that we're going to become disciples. No. So fine, you failed. Pick up and start again. Spiritual disciplines are just like learning to ride a bike, and all in the room, when we began riding a bike, we rode, we fell. We rode, we fell, but we kept going. This is how this works. Bathed with grace, that's the B. The first C is this, consistency trumps volume. St. Benedict was the guy who kind of first wrote about rule of life, and this is what he said, you know, when you're thinking about this, don't make it so easy that you're never challenged, and don't make it so hard that uh, you'll fail. This is like what I call the Goldilocks principle, right? Don't make it too easy, because then you're never going to be transformed. Don't make it so hard that you fail, because then you'll quit every time. But find that sweet spot that's challenging just enough. And again, I go back to running here as a great analogy, because when I, when I learn uh, to um, uh, you know, train for climbing a mountain or something like that, and I'm supposed to run, everybody says the same thing. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Start slowly. And and slow and consistent is always going to be better. So bathe with grace, that's a B. Consistency trumps volume, that's a C. And then the final C, community trumps individualism. In other words, words, if you think you do this on your own, uh, you're kind of kidding yourself. All spiritual transformation happens best in a context of community where we kind of declare our intent to one another, and that's what keeps us going. And so it might be your spouses I shared, it might be your small group, it might be somebody else, but find at least one person with whom you can share. Second Timothy chapter two, verse two, is where Paul admonishes Timothy, and he says to Timothy, look, the things you learned, Timothy, pass on to somebody else so that they can pass it on to somebody else, in other words, this stuff is caught as much as taught. We hang out with each other, and in the context of relationship, hey, What's your rule of life? Oh, interesting. Here's mine. We hold each other accountable a little bit. We fall. We pick up. It's okay. But community trumps individualism. So there's your BCC. B, bathed with grace. C, consistency trumps volume. And, and C, community trumps individualism. Man, it was probably 10 years ago now, I was up on the Mount Baker Highway. Do you guys know it? Highway 542 from Billingham up to Mount Baker. Uh, Mount Baker Ski Area. And there's a thing, I don't know if you know this, but there's a ride, it's called Ride 542. It's a 25-mile bike ride in which you gain 3,000 feet of elevation. So it's uphill the whole way. Um, at least 24 miles are uphill. So I've, I've ridden it before. It's brutal for me, because I'm not a cyclist. But Don and I, one day, we were up at, uh, we were hiking up there at Artist Point near Mount Baker. And as we were driving up, we saw uh, some women who looked pretty, I'll say they looked pretty old, and they were on their bikes. And this is up right near the skiers, so they've already ridden quite a ways. And uh, so we were at ours point, and then when we came back from our hike, uh, they were coming back to their bikes that they'd parked right by our car, all with big baskets filled with berries. So they'd been out, they'd ridden up this 25-mile bike ride, picking berries, and then they're riding home. And I said, hey, do you mind if I ask, you know, how old are you? Because you actually look old, right? Oh, yeah, I'm 65. I'm 70. I'm 59. Three ladies. The 7 year old (laughs) She won uh, the race on this hill n- not only in her age, the master's division, but in the age below, she was also the fastest one. And I was so impressed by that. I said, how do you learn to ride so well? It's amazing. And this, uh, this is her answer. She says, you know what, just little by little, I've been, doing I've been riding up this hill for 30 years. Little by little, that's the key. And then they got on their bikes, and they went down. Little by little. Little by little what? Little by little transformation. How? Habits. Values. We'll work with this more, but for now let's pray, and then we'll worship. Father, we'd like to thank you that you love us so much that you not only invite us to transformation, but you give us a pathway. And I would like to pray for each one of us today, Father, that the seed sown throughout uh, this message in the fall would take root in hearts and would result in uh, transformation, that we would represent your heart better, not just out of a desire to represent your heart. Lord, we know that therein, in representing you, therein is generosity and peace and hope and joy and freedom from shame, and and a sense of confidence and wholeness. So uh, would you guide us in these things, Father, as we take steps even today, small steps, little by little, becoming like you, and we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits as we follow you, praying in Christ's name, amen.